Hello and welcome to another episode of Her Moment in History. I'm Michelle. And I'm Grace. I nearly said I was Grace then. That would have been really just cause... like messed up people. <laughs> I know, it's right. just because I'm used to hearing you say it. <laughs> Therefore you were like, I'm going to copy. Yeah, why not? Okay. So hi, I'm Michelle. <laughs> mm-hmm. Hello. Okay, so this week the theme was education i yes. didn't know if you specifically wanted to do like someone who did was a teacher or someone who was actually in schools or just broadly i mean it's always broadly okay good. just because okay it's better that way <laughs> yeah it's there's, there's less overlap yeah because hmm. my person is is so many different things. So many She's, different things. But as well as being related to education. What, like a, a close cousin to education? Yep. Yeah, cool. <laughs> okay, do you want to go first then? Or shall I go first? You seem sure. very eager to do yours. I am. I was. I cried doing the research. It's very... She's just a really great woman. And like, I'm going to pronounce her names all the names so badly Mm -hmm. so i apologize so my person she's called savitri by fule but i'm just gonna call her sav okay to save on that so she was yep so much yeah (laughs) Uh, she was a indian social reformer educationalist and a poet oh wow so all the names are Indian. Okay. And so I do have no idea how you pronounce them. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to try anyway. So she was born on the 3rd of January, 1831. Oh, wow. In, yeah. In Nagayoan, in British India, which is now in the Sitara district in Maharashtra. Okay. She was born to... Lakshmi and Kandoji Nevishi Patel mm-hmm. and they both they all belong to the Mali community which I thought I'm not sure how well known the caste system is to everybody else no from experience so of think, like talking about it not many people yeah it's not taught so the caste system I'm gonna do a probably terrible explanation <laughs> But basically, there's multiple, like, levels in India of... It's related to Hinduism, isn't it? Yeah. So there'll be... I think the top is the Brahmin, who they they do all the, like, higher-up stuff, and they get more privileges. And you have to stay within your caste when you marry, or that's a big, big issue, and you'll be, like, outcast, basically. So these were of the occupational caste. So they would, these specifically gardeners and florists. So it was quite a low caste. Right. Is where I'm trying to get back to. Yeah. <laughs> so this this is the most problematic thing we, I think we've ever had on here, but we've got to let it go right so she got married when she was either nine or ten yikes um um it makes it mildly better because her husband was 13 that no i mean that doesn't make it okay but I, it doesn't I make it okay at least but he wasn't it's like not 50. like he's a 35 fully grown man yeah but his husband her husband was actually really nice Okay. He seemed like a really great guy. Mm-hmm. It was very supportive. He was called Giotitreo Fule. Mm-hmm. So when she got married, she wasn't educated because of her caste. And she was a woman, obviously. Because yeah. why do women need to learn anything? <laughs> so uh, even her husband, he was educated for a while and then he was forced to leave school because of his caste but then they had missionary schools which 
were where anyone could just go to school, basically. But I don't think it counted for women. I'm not sure. So, um, were the, but he were the missionary schools like when missionaries would go over and teach. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, mm-hmm. so it'd been very much like a biased education, I imagine. Then, if it was, yes, yeah, definitely. So he then taught his wife. Mm-hmm. I don't know, like basic knowledge. So I'm gonna go back a bit. Brahmins, the like, highest caste, was the the only group that would receive an education. Okay. Typically, other than the missionary schools. So they would be the ones who would then set up the schools as well. Mm-hmm. So they were pretty much in control of all the schools. And so it was always biased towards them and their caste. The, so this was like the, the, the environment that they were in. And so after her husband had taught her, she went to... I think she did a teaching course at a American missionary school, which was run by this American called Cynthia Farah, who okay. I feel like could deserve a whole no- another episode because she sounds great. And then when her husband was 21 and she was 17, they both opened a school for women in 1848. That's progressive for 1848. In incredibly yeah it was it was the country's first school for women that was started by indians and then they specifically started teaching the mahuwada which is the outcast place but because they had for thousands of years literally never had any education they, she they just were considered evil for, for teaching them and like just because of that all internalized I don't know their cast stuff mm, and so okay. they were like you're evil except the f- there was a few people who would go and be educated by them wait so the the cast the outcasts deemed those who were trying to educate them as evil yeah that's okay messed up but okay I know that's like, it's like an internalised racism or yeah. fe- uh, sexism, stuff like that, I think. Yeah. And to the, like, it was so bad that when she would be walking to school, she would, she had to wear an extra sari because people would throw rocks at her and dong oh and they'd yell verbal abuses and all sorts, which is horrible, but it did not stop her. Good. And the, there was also another woman who, her last name is Sagunabe, who is, all I know about her is she's a revolutionary feminist and a mentor to her husband. So, and then they all started another school in some, um, some um, person's house. It's this a woman called Tatya Saheb Baida, okay. who was, she was inspired by the work they've been doing. So they started the school, but their curriculum was very different to the typically like Brahmin ones. Okay. You look confused. Are you confused? I'm a little bit confused. Okay. Why? Who are we talking about now? Sav. Oh, okay. I thought you were talking about somebody else. Okay, cool. Oh, no, she just joined the couple, and then the three of them made oh, the school. Oh, okay. But I'm still focusing on Sav. Okay. Yeah. So their school would have... They'd teach mathematics, science, and social studies, mm-hmm. where in the Brahma schools, they'd have to teach, like, scripture or religious texts, mostly. Right. yeah. So they were different. Well, it sounds um, more like they were adding more in. Yeah. So by the end of 1851, the couple were running three different schools and 
the combined schools had approximately like 150 students. Are these and all outcast students? I'm not sure if they were... It didn't specify, but I know they, they did teach they like in the outcast. Them. Yeah. Yeah. But it, it got to the point where the number of girls they educated outnumbered the number of boys enrolled in their government schools. Whoa. Mm-hmm. Um, and apparently their teaching methods were very... and much more effective than the ones in the uh, government schools as well. As it would be, because I guess they didn't have any bias. Yeah, and I suppose they didn't have any, like, curriculum to stick to or anything like that. So, I suppose if you don't have the expectation yeah. to perform in a certain way, you're going to be okay. Mm-hmm. So, going back, like, two years. So, in 1949, her... No... I'm calling her husband Joe, because I can't say his name. Okay. So, Joe and Sav. It makes sense, because it's Geotiba. G- what? Geotiba is his actual name. Okay. So, Joe makes sense. Okay. (laughs) So, his father asked the couple to move out of his house, because the work they were engaged in was... A sin, according to Brahmanical texts. What? Why? I don't like spreading education. Should I know. Not be against any god, but okay. Yeah. But there, there was a quote that from her husband that he that was he was interviewed for some magazine or something, and it said that the quality of life for a child who has an educated mother is so much better and then they can progress further because their mother is educated and he Mm -hmm. had such a focus on educating the women first because they're raising the child and then the child will be the one that goes forward and that progression is so like it builds and builds and builds from each like generation Mm -hmm. and he had a focus on that so that's why he opened a women's school first Ah, ah, that makes mm-hmm. sense. Yeah, see, he's a good guy. <laughs> yeah. Because, <laughs> I don't know, I immediately, when I heard that she got married at nine or ten, I was like, oh, no, I don't, I don't, I feel like I hate this guy already. I mean, I feel like probably the the marriage was probably like, you know, both of them were kind of pushed into it, if you know what I mean. Uh, being yeah. that young, was... I don't think a 13-year-old can pressure somebody into getting married to them. I mean, I know that That's they warn true. you about peer pressure, but not in marriage. <laughs> it was a different time. Yeah. <laughs> so they then stayed with a friend of her husband called Usman Sheik, mm-hmm. where she met uh, Fatima Bijam Sheik, mm-hmm. and she had already learned to read and write because her brother taught her. And also encouraged Fatima to take the same teacher training course that Sav did. Okay. So so they both went to this school and graduated together. And so she is considered one of the first Muslim women teachers of India. Mm-hmm. Which is very great. So they were both friends and they kind of worked together. And they, they both opened schools in her brother's house i'm not sure it's probably the same school but there is it says in the article that their friendship and camaraderie and sisterhood basically define the core values of what we call intersectional feminism today i know because they were they weren't exclusive to just any specific what was relevant to yeah. them they were everybody they want everyone to have the best and equal and it's just like this was in the 1850s yeah and i'm like i've never heard of this woman and i was just crying because she should be known she's 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 so amazing mm-hmm. and it just keeps getting better like then the couple not 
the married couple. They created two educational trusts. One was called the Native Female School, and the other was the Society for Pro- for Promoting the Education of Mahas, Mangs, and etc. Which then, they had many schools under these trusts. Oh, okay. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. And she, Sav was the headmistress of one of them. And then uh, Fatima, she was, then she took over the responsibility. When? At some point. Oh, okay. But, okay, fair enough. It, was it very doesn't ominous. say why. Oh, okay. It, like, I was trying to hide the fact that I had a lack of knowledge. But. <laughs> oh, sorry. I, I kind of exposed that a little bit. I thought you were, like, trying to hide, like, something that was going to happen later. Like, we're going to find out what happened. You were like, oh, no, I'm not going to tell them that yet, so. She was also a author and a poet as well. Mm-hmm. It calls her a poetess, but I don't like when they call they people poetesses. I'm just like... To. It's just a poet. It's a gender-neutral term, please. Yeah. yeah. So she published Caviar Fule in 1854. It doesn't say what they are. So I'm either going to guess they are either non-fiction, fiction or poetry of some kind. <laughs> I think that, that covers all your bases, yeah. <laughs> that covers all of them, yeah. And then another one called Ka- Bavan Kashi Subo. Ratnaka, mm-hmm. which is in 1892, and she also wrote a poem called Go Get Education, okay. which urged the oppressed communities to get an education and break free the chains of oppression in the 1800s. I know. It was quite strange because the the same day I was doing this research, I read the Walt Whitman's poem, the song for the occupations, mm-hmm. which he basically is just like saying, no matter what your occup- occupation is, I see you the same as everybody else. Oh, that's so linked. Yeah, and I was like, oh, it was just, it was just strange. And then she also started, I think it was like a campaign called Mahila Siva Mandal, mm-hmm. which was meant to raise awareness about women's rights and she would call for women's gatherings from all the castes and she'd make them all sit on the same mat which doesn't sound like much but but it, it, it is and then she also she starts it's called the home for the prevention of infanticide in her house so it's was basically where like either brahmin widows could deliver their babies safely and they could either like leave the child there if they couldn't take care of it and it was also for pregnant rape victims as well so she'd help deliver the child and then if they'd help the well they'd save the child and she i think she she adopted one child from there because mm-hmm. she never had any kids and so i mean that's so nice too because yeah. <laughs> you should it's, it she, almost sounds just like, like trying to persuade me to like her as though i have an inherent dislike i don't you don't need to like persuade me i know but i just think she's so good i want people to know <laughs> so the child she adopted was called yashwant she was born to a brahmin widow and so she adopted him and she 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 both campaigned against child marriage whilst also supporting widow remarriage okay i mean are so they was... linked no but it was just phrased in the article like it was oh okay that's weird i was like if but like it's almost as though they were expecting like yeah but if children are widowed i was like but that's also an issue like separately Okay. That's true. Well, I guess that might be why. A bit awful to be like a child be married and then be widowed still as a child and then remarried as a child. 
blimey. No, but she was against child marriage. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah. No, because I'm not sure if they, if you were widowed, then you lose your caste. Oh, that's... I'm not sure how true that is, because I remember this from high school. Mm-hmm. But I'm sure that that might happen, but I'm not sure. I say when I learned about the caste system, it was at uni, and we only learned about outcasts. We never learned ah. about the actual, like anybody within caste. Mm-hmm. So, in the early 1870s, she started doing public activism. Mm-hmm. Um, because usually organisations like this were made by the Brahmin and would only serve their interests. Yeah. And so they wanted to have everything for everybody. So it would focus on like education for all and increased social and political rights for everyone as well. So that's nice. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so her husband died in 80, 1890 and she carried on the work of the organisations that they'd started together and she she chaired one of the annual sessions that they had in 1893 which is considered quite revolutionary at the time because it's a woman chairing a major event in the 1800s mm-hmm. and then she she initiated the first Satya Shadokak marriage which is a marriage without dowry um, or without brahmin priests or brahmanical rituals okay and so she i think she if she initiated it does that mean she did the marriage yeah i assume so yeah and her son was had a marriage like this that was he had an intercaste marriage but under this, it wasn't considered, like, bad. Yeah. Okay. Is Yeah. <laughs> I should have put this earlier. But there was a letter that's found of when she wrote to her husband about this Brahmin boy who was about to be killed by some villagers for his unholy alliance with a girl of a different caste. And so she heard about the plan to kill him, and so oh, she no. rushed. I know she rushed over and then started saying stuff about the British law that if you do this, then you're gonna get in a load of trouble. And then she, they then didn't kill them. I really hope it was phrased exactly like that. If you do this, you're gonna get in a lot of trouble because British. <laughs> yep, yeah. I'm pretty sure it was. That's a word for word. Translation from Hindu. Yep. (laughs) But even today, there's still caste-based killings, which is awful. And so she and her son opened a clinic because there was a worldwide pandemic of bubonic plague in 1897. Mm -hmm. And her son was a doctor. Um, Oh my God. Yeah, they made the the clinic out on the outskirts of the village where it was like a free of infection area. And there's a famous story that there was a 10-year-old boy who she heard had, had caught the plague. Mm-hmm. And so she, she ran to him and and she carried him on her back to the hospital. So this she was in her 60s at this point. Oh my God. I couldn't even do that now. Um, I know. And I think he was in... Yeah, he was in the outcast area as well. Mm. And I couldn't... I was trying to find out how she knew this boy. But I don't... I couldn't find it anywhere. It was just that she she knew him and she ran to save him. And then... So she she carried him to the hospital. And then he actually survived... The plague because of Wait, this but what i didn't know you yeah survived. okay cool i mean his his son was a doctor i don't know 
Okay. I'm not telling you to break it down, but okay. <laughs> no, no. But she caught the plague whilst helping him. Oh. Which she then died of on the Wait. 10th of March. Eight. But how could they save the boy? But not... Okay. I honestly have no idea. Okay. Maybe because, like, if she had, like, a cold or something and then... Yeah. Then just that, got the plague was... on top of it and it kills her. I don't know how the plague works. Okay. <laughs> so she died in 1897. She There's a university that was renamed after her in 2014 in the area where she was doing all the work. 2014 and is recent. Yeah. But one of the problems is that although she... It's quite ironic that she got this as the university thing, but she's not acknowledged as, like, one of the key feminists of, like, Indian history. She's she's more recognised for the work she did for specific communities instead. Oh, okay. And even though she basically did, like, intersectional feminist work as well, mm-hmm. she's not really credited for helping people of all genders and castes that's disappointing but yeah certainly she's kind of recognized at all for her achievements and yeah but in the article i read there was a quote from this nine-year-old girl who said that her i think it's her mother or her grandma told her that Sav faced women throwing stones, well, people throwing stones at her just for teaching girls, and so they should be incredibly thankful that she put herself through that, and that's why they can go to school today. Mm-hmm. Kind of thing. This is from a nine year old. Yeah. So, oh, how the, the cycle begins. Yeah. And that was Sav. That was good. No, it was it was so sad. She's so good. How old was she when she died? She, I think she was sixty six. I want to okay. say. Okay, that's so young. Yeah, she was born in. Oh, yeah, she was sixty six. Good math. It was a good guess. Yeah. Oh wow, mm-hmm. it was a guess. Well, I remember she was born in the thirties. And then oh, okay. I remembered six, so. Okay. Should wow. we go to an ad break? Yes, and we should be back in a bit. We are Crime Crazy, the weekly true crime podcast with Aaron Plyme and Diana Seacon, where we prove that we know nothing about our legal system. Or a shark's digestive systems. Or how many priests are necessary for an exorcism. Or the guillotine. Or how much milk can fit in a shopping cart. Or how to cook dicks. Or what it means when your nose itches. Or penguins. Or why it's called Scotland Yard. Or proper body disposal. Or sentencing. Or how to make it through an entire episode without saying God. How big does a rock have to be to be a boulder? Or geography. Or whether stingrays have teeth. Or crime in Minnesota. Or how medical parole works. Or why people text their crimes to each other. Or the hierarchy of cops. Or what a paper grabber is. Anything about an Alfred plea. The security at Buckingham Palace. If warrants expire. How to start a fire. How much drugs cost. If ducks would make good guard animals. Whether priests have to tell the police about crimes they are aware of and maybe even involved in. Pink stun guns. How much is 11 pounds of cocaine worth? The mechanics of hanging. What happened to Carla Homolka after her release? How to make a car fly. The colonial parkway killer. swans migrate. Marital property laws in Florida. If horses can throw up. Do crocodiles hibernate? What animals can get drunk? How do you get stuck in a window? Sharks live. International flight security. How do you get a typewriter into your prison cell? What you shouldn't bring to a robbery. But we're still crazy for a good true crime story. If you don't know anything about these things either, you should come listen to Crime Crazy. Diana, do you have any advice for us? Yeah, you should subscribe to Crime Crazy. You can find us on iTunes or Google Play or Podbean or your podcast catcher of choice. You can follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, WordPress, Facebook, Gmail, or Facebook. Call your people. Yes, call your people. And don't end up on next week's episode. So, kind of disclaimer for my half as well, that uh, I don't know if I'm going to be pronouncing these names correctly. So, the person that I'm doing for this week is Malala Yousafzai.
the the one who was shot was she shot yes yeah yeah um not not just known for being shot but you know that is i know quite she did all the things she did all the things yeah so she was born in um mingora pakistan on july 12th 1997 whoa she's only three months older than me yeah i was waiting for that kind of oh i feel like i've achieved nothing oh yeah same she so got an unconditional born... into Oxford, didn't she? No, it was a conditional offer. Oh. I don't think Oxford give unconditional offers. I thought I she was if, the only person. They could have done. On all the research I did, it said it was conditional. Oh, then I'll believe you. Okay. <laughs> Thank you. So her family is Sunni Muslim, which means that it was like the, it's like the main form of Mus- Muslim that's mm-hmm. practised. Yeah. So they pray to the prophet of Muhammad, mm-hmm. and she was born at home because her family couldn't afford to pay the hospital bills, so Whoa. so she'd be born in the hospital. And she lived with her parents, her two younger brothers, and two pet chickens. Oh. Apparently the chickens were an important part because they were, they were you know, mentioned quite a bit. That's nice, um, I like that. Oh, <laughs> okay. <laughs> but the chickens didn't have names in, in the research, I couldn't find the names. That's tragic. You'd, I want to call know. a chicken roast. That's you don't even eat chicken. I know that's why it's I can it's fine because I'm a vegetarian, so I can call my chicken roast. Because I am not going to okay. roast it. It's irony. It's hilarious. Okay. <laughs> um, she said so. There's a lot of quotes by her in this because I got a lot of mm-hmm. research from the Malala um, Fund webpage where she basically has written like about her life so she said that welcoming a baby girl is not always celebration in pakistan but her father was determined to give her every opportunity a boy would have so her dad who was called i think it's pronounced zaldin i think Mm. was a poet a school owner and and an activist himself quite hard Mm -hmm. to say and he encouraged malala to want to be a politician Whoa. I think originally she wanted to be a doctor, but then he was like, politician. That's um, crazy. She, I know. Because usually she said that, like, be a doctor. I know. She's like, I want to be a doctor. He's like, no, aim higher. <laughs> um, she said that she loves school, but everything changed when the Taliban took control of their town in Swat Valley. The extremists banned many things like owning a television and playing music and enforced harsh punishments for those who defied their orders. And they said girls could no longer go to school. In January 2008, when she was just 11 years old, she said goodbye to her classmates, not knowing when, if ever, she would see them again. Oh my god. This is a sad, sad episode. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, yours might end, yours should end end with more hope. Mine ends quite happily, yeah. Well, there we go then. Um, so as early as 2008 so when she was mm-hmm. 11 years old she started speaking out about her right to an education so she should like She's... but who at 11 years old goes yeah i'm going to speak out about my right to education i think it's one of those things that like you know but you're like mm. my God. so and then in 2009 she was working as a peer educator in a pakistan youth program which encouraged young people to discuss social issues. Whoa. That was in 2009. She was 12 years old. I don't. I think I was just being an idiot when I was 12 years old in 2009. <laughs> I know for a fact I was just being an idiot at, at that age. She was also blogging under a pseudonym to the BBC Urdu. So they wanted to put together some kind of like first-hand accounts of what was happening during the first battle of SWAT, which is where the military made it illegal for like a lot of things to happen and particularly it was like for girls to attend school after the age of 15. So they tried to get one girl to do it and she was she did it for a bit but then her parents didn't want it to happen anymore because of the, the risk obviously. So Malala's dad was like, oh, I have a daughter who's going through that. She can blog so she 
yeah, was blogging. She would handwrite notes and then would give them to a reporter in Pakistan who would then scan them and, like, then email them over to the BBC. Whoa. Yeah. That is insane. I know. (laughs) Yeah. And she was doing this from September 2008 to March 2009. Whoa. I know. My God. Yeah. And during this time that they were doing this, the Taliban were blowing up hundreds of girls' schools, like girls-only schools, and they were putting heavy restrictions on girls who could attend school. And Malala said she would be woken in the night hearing gunfire. Whoa. Yeah. My God, as if this is, like, 20 years ago. <laughs> Not even like, 20 no, years ago. Like 10. 10. Yeah. I feel like my, mine and yours should have been reversed. Like, with the times. Oh. I feel like, no, because yours was first, and history, and then it, you know. No, I mean, like, in the, what happened should have... Oh, the content, in, yeah. Yeah, should have been, like, now, and then that should have been in the 1800s. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. Yeah. So during the second battle of SWAT, I, I didn't quite understand a lot of the difference between them. Um, mm-hmm. I think just because I just did, I, I quickly skimmed through, but I couldn't understand. But I think it's to do with like how much land they were taking kind of um, okay. control of and the harsher restrictions they were placing on people. So during mm-hmm. the second battle of SWAT, Malala and her father were approached about filming a documentary by the Ooh. New York Times. Um, during this period of time, Mingora, which is where her family were living, was evacuated and her family were separated. So I, from what I can gather, they were still filming the documentary with Malala, but they I don't think they were able to with her dad. So she oh. got sent to the country to live with some relatives, which she oh. said was awful because they didn't have any books to read. Um, oh, I really. <laughs> <laughs> so after... Uh, her dad then criticised the militants in the press. Her dad would then be, like, receiving loads of death threats over the radio. Did did he get killed? No. Just, oh. just threats. Okay. And then by July of 2009, I think it was, for some reason I decided not to write the year down, uh, SWAT was again safe, so her family were then moved back there and reunited. But they were also around the same time were invited to meet with Obama's Pakistan representative. Whoa. And Malala pleaded that if you can help us in our education, so please help us. Whoa. My goodness. I know. So So now she was speaking out as a public figure because her pseudonym was released that it had been her. So now people knew that she'd actually been doing the blogging for the BBC Urdu and she was appearing on the radio and on the TV as well to kind of speak out about this right. Mm -hmm. And she says, I spoke out publicly on behalf of girls and our right to learn and this made me a target. In October 2012, on my way home from school, a masked gunman boarded my school bus and asked, who is Malala? He shot me on the left side of my head. I woke up 10 days later in a hospital in Birmingham, England. The doctors and nurses told me about the attack and that people around the country were praying for my recovery. Oh my god, I didn't realise she was shot in the head. Yeah, it said it, they were shot and it's apparently, from what I can gather, it was like skimmed her left eye and then went into oh. her shoulder. Whoa. I mean, that's yeah. really lucky. I, I mean, yeah. I mean, unlucky to have been shot at all, but... Yeah. yeah, but, like, centimetre difference could have gone straight in their brain. Right. It's Yeah. And I, it, apparently when cause she was rushed to a load of different hospitals, I don't quite mm-hmm. have time to, like, go into the detail, but she had rushed to a load of different hospitals, and there was a long time she was in a coma for a while, and eventually she obviously came around. The picture of her mm-hmm. then um, waking up in hospital was, like in newspapers worldwide because it was everybody was just had gone bored with this story uh had Mm. like learned all about her and were like hoping that she would wake up and when she woke up she only had like so so much percent of her function 
Oh, whoa, I didn't know that. Yeah, so then she had to go to a lot of, like, a lot of surgeries, a lot of, like, physical therapy. She had a mm. cochlear implant. Uh, there was, like, a lot going on to, to make sure she was, like, back on. I think now she has 96% function in her face. Whoa, that's impressive. Which is, uh, yeah. So, yeah. Mm. Um, the shooting led to protests by an a number of Pakistani towns to advocate for the right to an education campaign. So like loads of people are now banding together because of what had happened. And this led to the signing of the right to education bill in Pakistan. Oh, that's good. Yeah. Whoa. So she, she says, uh, after, after the uh, shooting, she says that she joined her family in their new home in the UK. It was now that she knew she had a choice. I could live a quiet life or I could make the most of this new life I'd been given. I determined to continue my fight until every girl could go to school with my father, who had always been my ally and inspiration. I established Malala Fund, a charity dedicated to giving every girl an opportunity to achieve a future she chooses. I want to cry again. (laughs) (laughs) I could see, I could see her eyes were like, you were like, oh my God. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, well. Yeah. So they found, in terms of like the person who'd actually done the attack, they were speaking to the spokesman of the Taliban. I just decided not to write his name down because I wasn't really going to give him the floor. So, um, and nice. he uh, said that the reason for the attack was to kill the symbol of infidels and obscenity and that they would target her again. He also said that the Quran said to kill a child protest- protesting against Islam. <sighs> yep I honestly Which... I want yeah. ju- I feel like religious texts need to be treated like you treat how you'd pull apart like an English literature text yeah like it's not set it's it's for interpretation and you just need to like yeah. not be so literal and it, it's mm-hmm. it's just made with whoever wrote it they're biased I'm just like <laughs> yeah and, and she also wasn't protesting against Islam. She was protesting no. against the Taliban. Because, like, yeah. she was a Muslim. She was, like, she had no issue with the religion. It was the issue with the fact that a small group of people, under the guise of religion, were trying to take away one of her basic human rights. It's like, yeah. they're not the same thing. They're not. So... But yeah, the the people who had led the attack as well, apparently they had six of them in custody who they believed had actually done it, but they had to let them go because they didn't have enough evidence and apparently they're still at large. Whoa. Anyway, let's uh, sandwich the bad with good. So uh, Mm -hmm. Gordon Brown had visited Malala in hospital and launched a petition in her name with the slogan, I am Malala, which demanded that no child be left out of school by 2015 and that no country should discriminate against girls going to school. Whoa. He did do some good. (laughs) She did a lot of good. No, he did. Gordon Brown. Oh, right. Oh, yeah. Mm, <laughs> some. Uh, she, she spoke before the United Nations in 2013. She also spoke in front of Queen Elizabeth and Buckingham she Palace. She was 15 that same then. Yep. My God. I was still being an idiot. I still am. <laughs> she, she spoke at Harvard University. She met with Obama. And when she met with Obama, and this is like an amazing badass thing to do, you're meeting with the President of the United States. You think you're going to have to be in your best behaviour. You think you're going to have to hold your tongue. Did she? No. She confronted him about his use on drone strikes in Pakistan. Whoa. Yeah. I mean, take the opportunity whilst you've got it. Right? Badass, <laughs> though. In recognition mm-hmm. of her work, then, in 2014, when she was 17 years old, she received the Nobel Peace Prize. Whoa. She must be and like, she broke became, a record. Yeah, she became the youngest ever uh, Nobel laureate. Whoa. Yeah. 17. Which received it's... some criticism, but I'm not going to give them the floor. In 2015, on her 18th birthday, so just, what were you doing on your 18th birthday? 
What did I do on my 18th birthday? I was at, I was at college. <laughs> you were at college? Yeah. yeah. Mine was, I think mine was on Mother's Day, getting drunk. Yeah. Nice. What was Malala doing on her 18th birthday? She was Something opening a school good. in Lebanon for Syrian refugees. The school was funded by the Malala Fund and offered education to girls aged 14 to 18, calling to the world leaders to in- invest in, quote, Books, not bullets. Oh my god. I feel like I've wasted my life. Yeah. <laughs> but well, I mean, I'm really happy for her. Like, she's a good human. Amazing, yeah. And um, she's like and 21. Yeah. 22. 22. And now she is studying philosophy, politics and economics at the University of Oxford. Whoa. Yeah. Can you imagine just being in the same class as her? No, hell no. She's so intimidated. She'd be like, oh my god. I know, I feel like whatever she said I'd need to write down. Yeah. I knew it. Well, in 2018, they asked her about her attackers. And she said, I forgive them because it's the best revenge I can have. Whoa. Yeah. In the same year, they also asked her about Trump. Now, I don't quite know what they were expecting her to say about Trump, because it was obviously she wasn't going to say anything positive about the man, yeah. because no, she has a brain. <laughs> so I, I don't understand why they asked it her, but basically she basically said what you'd expect. She said that she just wasn't happy about the fact that he was a sexual... that he is, you know, rapist, sexual abuser, racist, about the fact he, you know, did the ban the Muslim law kind of thing. So I don't know why they asked her as though she was going to say anything at all they didn't expect, but they did. And she basically said what I know most of the population are thinking. So, yeah. But yeah, mm. that is Malala. And she's obviously still alive, 22, getting an education at one of the most prestigious universities in the world I think yeah you know um, Oxford is older than the Aztecs what? I knew it was that Cleopatra and Oxford were around at the same time I read that somewhere really? yeah when was Cleopatra around? same time with the Romans I thought Oxford was made in like the 900s I'm not sure if that's Where? right. Do you always do a quick Google search? Because yes. I may have pulled that fact out of my ass. But I think it's true. <laughs> I'm going to leave it in anyway. <laughs> Great. <laughs> Even if it's not true. Because the Aztecs were 1400s. The Aztecs were 1400s? Mm-hmm. Oxford University was established in 1096. I was close, 900. Yeah, you're only 100 years out. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, so I was completely off. <laughs> I mean, aren't you off by like a thousand years almost? Uh, over a thousand years, yeah. Where the <laughs> hell did I read that? Or maybe I'm just getting a lot mixed up. It was probably on Red Dwarf. They usually have stuff like that. Red Dwarf? Yeah. The show. I never watched it for that. Okay, fair enough. Oh. No, then I completely got that wrong. What was I reading? I think I got multiple <laughs> facts kind of mixed together. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's, yeah, just cover up my shame. Mm-hmm. Wait, doesn't she have a book out as well? Yes, she has a few books. She wrote one with... God, I read the name. I've forgotten it. But yeah, there's who basically like translated it all as well. So it's called, I think it's called I Am Malala. Um, so yeah, it's the mm. autobiogra- autobiography of her. Oh. So, but it's just like if, if that happened like today, then she'd get Boris Johnson going to visit her and then going to the US and meeting the president would be Trump. And like, yeah. they're all 
like that should <laughs> it just feels like just some weird thankful that, that can't be right now. but it but yeah I know uh, my, my sister's doing NCS and at the end she gets a certificate that's signed mm-hmm. by the Prime Minister and she's having a bit of a meltdown. She's like, I can't decide what's worse, to have Theresa May or Boris Johnson sign it. I was like, if it makes you feel any better, I doubt they would have signed it personally. It's probably just like a stamp. So, but yeah, I was like, I don't know which I'd rather. <laughs> no. Just have Theresa Johnson. Theresa Johnson or, or <laughs> Boris May. Boris May sounds good. Yeah. Because then you could go with, Boris may do this, Boris may do that. Why didn't people do that with Theresa May? Did they? I missed that. I think there was already the pun of Theresa May. Oh, yeah. So there was already... She didn't have much going for her, did she? No. I mean, well, the worst thing she ever did was run through a field of wheat, so... uh... Yeah. I mean, can she get into our po- in our politics who Malala? like in theory yeah because she's been here for what 10 years i, don't, she have I enough... don't actually know the law because what malala 2024 <laughs> please yeah can you imagine we'll go from a dystopia to a utopia <laughs> overnight <laughs> it would be nice yeah Oh my god, I'd vote for her. Oh good. Who would she vote for? <laughs> anyway. Anyway. But yeah. Did you have somebody uh, or something that you wanted to kind of share this week? Created by I feel like I feel like just Malala and Sav. They're just too good. Just too like, good to leave. Yeah. Well, I suppose we could say Malala's book then. Yep, go, go buy check it. check it out. Yeah. Go give her money for a charity. Yeah. It's for a wonderful yeah. cause. Go go research Malala Fund on Google and all the information's there. And it's great. It's really pretty. My God, I feel like crying now. <laughs> They're just so great women. We should call this episode Tears for Malala. Tears for Malala. Okay. Mm-hmm. Sounds good. <laughs> Yeah. I think that wraps us up. Yeah. Yep. Thank you for listening. And we shall see you next week. Bye. Yes. Goodbye. <laughs>